listening to Brave New Words. Uh, and I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Del. I'm Anne. And before we do anything else, let's have a jingle. This, this is Fabrian International. Wasn't that lovely? And talking of jingles, it's Christmas. Jingle bells. It is, it is indeed Christmas. Um, Christmas! Christmas! I've been to a Christmas concert less than a week ago, um, and it was amazing, and it was um, Hanson Christmas concert, and Hanson only sang Christmas songs, and it was like oh the best two hours that I've ever had. It was so good. Um, yeah, like, they, they spent a long time, like, Hansoning up songs that we knew, because they have, they have a Christmas, two Christmas albums, so they did some of the songs from those. But then they had like some covers of songs that we knew, but like done quite handsome style, so quite like fifties rock and roll. It was really good. And in my head, I was like, I wonder if this is what it's like to be at a winter formal from like all those like high school American films that we used to watch. And I was like, that's what it is. And it was amazing. Yay, Christmas! Go to a handsome Christmas concert. I've watched a Christmas Prince on Netflix twice. Oh, it looks so bad. I really want to watch it. <laughs> My favorite. You watch, you watch it in like nine seconds, and you're like, I know exactly how this is going to go. Yeah, it's going to be as cliched as heck, and you get to the end, and you're like, yes, that was cliched as heck. And then your brain goes, but hang on a minute, actually, that was quite diverse. Okay. So there's a lot of women. There's a disabled character who's a main character. Uh, there's or character with disability rather. Uh, there's uh, there's people of color in it. There, there's characters who are just quietly gay. You were explaining this to me last night, and I like you were unimpressed. I had predicted the plot. I was like, she was like, it's this, and I was like. I predicted the plot and she was like no and then proceeded to tell me the plot which was exactly what you expected but to me. an extent is that not what you want from a Christmas film yeah I don't oh, want yeah. a surprise no, or like a ball twist like yeah, yeah. I it's Christmas sit. we've had a terrible year it's a Netflix <laughs> original it's set right now they, they refer to enough dates that it is plainly set like this week <laughs> so in my opinion um, It's a Wonderful Life is oh. like it is like the, the primary type of Christmas movie. Die Hard is just a movie that's set in, set in Christmas, but Christmas as a plot. Yes. As in, as in, it's not a Christmas movie because it's not about the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> it's about it's about terrorists taking down the Nakatomi Plaza. But I suppose he, oh, sorry, he gives them, like, Presents, the best gift bullets. of all, of, like, everyone else got to live. Yeah. That's a nice time, isn't it? <laughs> also, and he makes friends with a grumpy policeman. Yeah. High velocity Santa, he he gives you bullets for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it's a wonderful life regarded as communist propaganda for, for a while. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Home, I'm not home. Sorry, the corner house before it was home. Every year used to do a showing of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and the first time I went. I didn't realise you could take your own booze in. So I was surrounded by like middle-aged women with like Prosecco they bought from the Sainsbury's across the road. And also, because they clearly, it's the same group of people that go every year. They'd all brought bells. So at the end, like they were all jingling their bells and it was amazing. Which if you haven't seen the film, that like there's a reason why that's especially poignant. But it, it is lovely and I actually think do watch it. It's is a great it just Christmas church film. bell, so is it any bell? It's any bell because the bell from the film is a bell on the tree. They are showing home in Manchester are showing it's a wonderful life. I bet you can't bring your own booze anymore now they've got a bar though. 
Not that I'm complaining, fair, I love they not, home. They, did they not always used to have a bar? I don't remember there being a bar there at was, the corner house. Yeah, the building. So like you had the other house. Across the road. Yeah, across the road. But you could take your own stuff into the cinema because, because it was a different building. Because you, because you could get your drink at one building and go to the other. Yeah. This is totally not interesting for people who don't live in Manchester. I know. Um, this <laughs> is like, brilliant. Come on, we're, we're organising a brew up. Let's go. Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point I was going to try and finish is <laughs> Iron Man 3 is not a Christmas movie. It's set in Christmas. Yeah. Christmas. But it's not about Christmas. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not, you know, this Christmas is not a major theme. He doesn't fight a Santa robot. No. There's none of that. I think sometimes I, I, there's a lot of really good Christmas films. Like, don't get me wrong, like that. But I think bad Christmas films are just as good in a whole other way. Like one of my favourite Christmas films is called Santa's Little Helper, and it's a WWE Christmas film. So the main star is the Miz, and the angry elf is Paige, and it is everything I want from a Christmas film. It's so you know when something is so bad, it's amazing. I'm not even sure it was bad enough to get there. It's so, but it's just, it's so good. And everyone loves The Miz. Hollywood superstar, The Miz. The Miz, yeah. Have to, may have to revise this opinion of the different We've not films mentioned Muppet things. Christmas Carol. We yeah. haven't. But that's because that's a good Christmas film. That's not is, one that's uh, a bad one. Well, I was going to say, A Christmas Carol is the ones. only What's Doctor Who Christmas episode, which I think is actually a Christmas episode. We're not actually talking mm. about, about A Christmas Carol, the book for uh for the show by the way the book i'm reviewing is the extremely christmasy <laughs> sorry Surely you can't talk about christmas carol because it's not new that's true as well it is genre it doesn't though. have to be new it is genre i will give you that yes. it is there's a ghost <laughs> yeah there's really? lots of ghosts there's not there's, there's se- four there's oh four. There's four, four, no, ghosts. Three, two, four yes but in the moment christmas carol there's five this we're six yes. minutes into the show and we haven't told the listener what the book is they don't care what the book is. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, the, I thought the mission statement of this show was Ed tries to talk about books and we stop him. Yeah. That's not the mission statement, that's just well. the very apt description of it, which turns out to be accurate what's, more weeks than not. What's interesting as well is we've not even opened the sherry. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't booze. We don't need booze to be drunk. Right, so it is, it is red and white, which are Christmas covers. Mm-hmm. So the book itself is red and white. In case you're looking for it in a bookstore. In case you're looking for it in a bookstore. Uh, though with the the dust cover off, it's just white, which is very pretty. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, but with red lettering with on the spine. Well, that's because it's called Dogs of War. Very uh, Christmassy. It's very Christmassy. Uh, so Dogs of War is. Do um, they have bells on their collars? Right, sort of. Right. <laughs> what? Oh, Ooh, did we mystery. Bring it round? Mystery. <laughs> right. I'm so I'm trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so it's by Adrian Tchaikovsky, who we like. Yes, um, we do. And we like him. Lovely Adrian we, like him. we like him because he keeps doing new, interesting stuff. Dell, you're putting Santa hats on the books. Oh, I was going to take an Instagram photo with no one realising. Right. Okay. By the way, we're on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> we're also on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, we don't have the, the Super Secret Book Club anymore because Facebook hates us. Um, pretty much. Because algorithms. Because algorithms. algorithms. So we just have a page instead where you can find out about the show. You can also find out about us on the Wonky Spanner, uh, which is a spanner that's wonky. Um, I was going to talk about this book. Right, so it's set in the sort of near future. You might remember I talked about a book a little while ago, which was also by Adrian, called Ironclads. Yes. yes. And Ironclads was about people in power armour causing geopolitical nightmares. 
As they do. As they do. This is also about war. It's also about the politics of war. There is a clue in the name of the book. Um, what it is sort of about is about animal rights and the, the rights for animals in general. Because when we're talking about the dogs of war, we mean actual dogs. Right. Oh. Uh, the main character is called Rex. Okay. He is he is a good dog. Good boy. He is a good I, dog. So um, you say that, and I'm immediately thinking of uh, Gaspard. It actually it actually opens it actually opens with a fantastic opening line, which is, "My name is Rex. I am a good dog." See Rex, run, run, enemy, run. That's Master's joke. So Rex is uh, a man shaped right. dog soldier. Okay. Oh. He is. I'm sad. He's huge. Okay. And he has guns. Yep. Um, and he has friends. And his unit are mixed biophones. Right. And the, his unit consists of the following names. A character called Honey. A character called Dragon. Mm. A character called Bees! <laughs> I love your head sometimes. Um, <laughs> obviously. I was expecting some kind of. There's a joke going here somewhere. But well, <laughs> well, we've already opened with a dog soldier. Um, and Rex does what he's told because he's a good dog. Because he's a good dog. And when the story opens, they're in the, they're in the campage and something is happening. And the dog is being told by his master. Um, and his master is and it's very early on it's very obvious early on that his master is not a very nice man um, so that's like the ultimate conundrum then isn't it are you still a good dog are you still a good dog are you still a good dog if you're doing because he's doing everything he's told because he's a good dog but if you're not doing nice things are you still a good dog when it's a little bit on the nose in quite a few places. So when the story opens, uh, the, the guy who, the, his master is called Murray. And everyone refers to him as the movie of Campeche. Okay. And he runs an awful, he's very experienced at running packs. The backstory for this world is as follows. We had AI, we had drone warfare. Right. And we built AI robots to do war. And then that was a terrible idea because we, because people designed them in a competitive way. Yeah. So we designed them in a competitive way to be, to be, to be better, to really consider the consequences of certain commands and instructions, yeah. and now certain areas are no-go zones. Okay. Because there's machines that just make drones that just kill anything that moves, and, and so on. So there's, there's, there's death zones, effectively, uh, and massive humanitarian disasters caused by weapons of mass destruction, living landmines, essentially. Um, so there's, there's these huge areas so the the arms manufacturers are like right we've been banned we can't use those we're not allowed to use robots cool well people don't want to send soldiers because soldiers are expensive and it makes people sad when you know fathers and mothers die so we'll, we'll genetically manipulate animals so they start with dogs because dogs are well behaved mm. and they move on to everything else and this story is mostly told from the perspective of, of Rex. And it is absolutely gorgeous. It's worth pointing out that this entire novel is not a war story. Okay. The first 
quarter, maybe third. Uh, it's about Kampesh, what happens in Kampesh, what happens to the Biofoam companions, what they have to deal with. Um, they have another friend called Hartnell, who's a human, who is a computer expert, um, who is a bit more sympathetic and a bit nicer character, like nice. He's terrified of Mummy. He's ter you know, but he, he you. Know, He's scared of Rex because he's a scary, scary dog. One of the things they've done to Rex when they built him is his voice is rumbly and scary. And he has a rumbly and scary voice. Mm. Which makes it very hard for him to not to say things like, don't shoot me. Because yeah. he's got a scary voice. Mm. Um, and it's quite clear that most of the world don't think of these creatures as people. Then we meet a character called Aslan, who's not a lion, he's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I just want to back up to one thing, because I'm still wondering at the minute. Honey, dragon and bees, are they a bear, a dragon and some bees, or are they three more dogs? They're not, they're not dogs. Okay. But that's what you say. That's all I, right. I, I'm, I'm really trying not to spoil a lot that's, of it for okay. you. Yep. Um, but so the I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of it now as a bear, a dragon and some bees. Um, and some bees. <laughs> Bees, it's Adrian Tchaikovsky. Yeah. You've got to remember that he loves insects. Yeah. Okay. Like like he wrote a book called Spider Lice. Yes. Which which, which is about we've reviewed. Which is about the adventures of a giant spider. It's like a fantasy yeah. novel as told from the perspective of a giant spider. Spiders not insects. Yes. <laughs> Too many things. He, he likes yeah. creepy crawlies. Yes. He's a fan of creepy crawlies. Fair. The shows of the app series are about human beings who use Magic, which is insect themed, okay, and could be crawly themed. Um, so Aslan's not a lion. Aslan's not a li- lion. He's a lawyer. Oh, um, well, I can, I, yeah, certain creatures. Sorry, I say that with a word. Really, I don't think it's ever described. That the character has long hair. I don't think the character has long hair, but in my head, because he's called Aslan, I'm like, he's got big hair. Yeah. See, in my head. Because he's called Aslan, he's got like big, light blonde dreads. Ooh. And, and it's so not very street lawyery. Aslan. Yeah, a bit like all pulled back and stuff. Street Aslan. <laughs> Took you a moment. <laughs> Sorry. Aslan in the streets. What would Narnia be like <laughs> in this world? Narnia in the streets. <laughs> Ghetto Narnia. Ghetto Narnia. Oh man, you'd have like. <laughs> You'd have like the mice kind of just on the suit, like, hey, dude, got any cheese? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, because oh, among other things, a wardrobe is, the, you know, so of its time, what would it be today? What would you have instead of a wardrobe? Reaper Cheap would be a wrapper. Yeah. You'd have something for my key, wouldn't you? Yeah, closet. Just... So, mm. which, which comes to the, 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 the usual random guy, guy, which is so in the closet, he's in Narnia, which is. Mm. Or it would be like a wardrobe made out of like old pallet wood. <laughs> isn't, the, isn't the wardrobe though made from a tree that's from Narnia? Yes, that's what the magician's nephew is about. Oh. The magician's nephew is him. Yeah, yeah he's... Um, the little boy's mum is sick um, and he's staying with his uncle... And they find a ring, and the ring takes them to different worlds. And in one world, he meets a woman who's bigger than people. Like, all the people in that world are big. 
and she's his friend and then he finds out very quickly that she's actually evil and nasty and she steals the ring and runs into his world in London and the police chase her and she tears um, a rod off of the old gas lamp lampposts to fend them off with and, that's the and then she runs into another world but there's nothing in that world it's it's a world of nothing it's and then me. there is then there is a roar and then there is light and then there is a lion and the lion is Aslan to create this wonderful new world but he feels so bad that he, through his actions the witch has entered that world that he feels he needs to make it better um, but the lion gives him an apple that if he ate it in Narnia he'd live forever but he takes the apple back to his world for his mum and his because the Aslan's like it won't your mum won't live forever because she hasn't eaten it in in our world but she'll get better and then they throw the pips out the window and the pips become a tree and the tree grows and one day someone cuts that tree down and makes a wardrobe so that he can leave the house but still take that part of Narnia with him and that's the professor from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And the, she plants the rod in the ground. Yes, she plants the rod in the ground. That becomes the lamppost. That becomes the lamppost. Because it's a living thing, because it thinks it's a... Yeah, everything is growing, because it's a new world. So I have read that book, but now I don't need to. Speaking of that, means that you can make... I'm sorry, a, in my head, everyone has it, they're going to... You can make other lampposts in Narnia. Because I always wondered how that would do, but if it's, if it's, if it's the rods, if the rods are its seeds... <laughs> I think we might be over-examining this. Well, if should we go like, back? Should we, we go back to talking about? It's like you and energy, basically. <laughs> so there's a line. Not sorry. There's not a line called. So there's not a line. So the <laughs> next phase of the novel. Deja vu there. Somewhere. The next phase of the novel is about the events in Campeche, which I won't spoil for you. But to to make it to to give you an idea what what the book does next is there is a trial, right? Um, and there is a trial, and there is a particular scene in there, which is just about abuse of power and it's about abuse in general and it's about human rights and this book goes from being a war story to a story about rights right and then it moves on to being a story about uh about the future and about how we treat other living thinking things and how we treat other thinking things and it's almost a precursor to you know how a lot of sci-fi novels, the singularity has happened, mm. and like you've got like sentient computers, and you've got like talking animal creatures, and everything's been uplifted, and it's all jolly, or maybe it's not. Um, it's it doesn't do that. There's no the, there's no um, assumption that's been made here. It's basically gone every single time that there's been a rights issue. People have had to fight for their rights. We've had to have everyone has always had to fight for the rights to be recognised as living things. Uh, and thus, if technology allows you to have new living things, they will have to fight. Yeah. Um, comparatively, um, I would compare this to another book that I absolutely adore called We Free by Grant Morrison. So Grant okay. Morrison is a comic book. And in Re Free, we have, and I'm, I'm happy to spoil Re Free for people because it's been out for about a decade. Uh, in Re Free, we have a cat, a bunny, and a dog. And they've been put in a power armor, and it's not, they've not been, in Re Free, they've not been genetically modified. It's literally a dog off the street. Okay. Plonked into a power armor, bunny, plonked into power armor, 
cat pointed at our man. In the same um, way that they used to pilot the space. Yes. Yeah. In the same way that it is a space program. Yeah. Uh, and there's a Doberman as well. And essentially, the um, the the DARPA American military five-star general looks at this and goes, No! I mean, interesting technology, but no! no. Um, the, and cat, one cat's, of, the cat soldier in particular is going to fall asleep for 18 hours a day. One of the... Stink! Stink! Is what the cat mostly says. Okay. Doesn't oh, it like, translates for them? Yeah. Right. They've got little translating robot voices. <laughs> uh, so Bandit is a good dog. Bandit is a good dog. Good dog? Bada, bada, bada. The bits comes. What would the rabbit say? Food. Who yeah. are you? Just go away. I'm Mostly hungry. Okay. Mostly hungry and says... Mostly it says run. And the opening chapter of Way 3 is where the five star general goes no 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 and um one of the scientists goes fuck that noise you're not destroying these animals they've done nothing wrong mm. and lets them loose and they run and it's about a bunch of animals running away it's what ship down with machine guns um so he lets them loose but still in their armor because she- they, they oh, once it's in, them. you can't take it off. Yeah. Okay. You can't easily take it out, and there's no time. Okay. Uh, I was thinking of, I can't remember what the name of that movie is that uh, Michael J. Fox was voiced it. There were two dogs and a cat running, trying to make it away. That's the one. It sounds <laughs> yes. like that. Yeah, actually, it's Homeward Bound with missiles. Yeah. Um, there we go. <laughs> uh, and it's drawn by Frank Quietly, um, who is does his kind of beautiful, kind of, um, his beautiful graphic designer. Now, Wave 3 is very, very staunchly about animal rights. Um, Grant Morrison also wrote Animal Man. Um, He's very very pro-animal rights and very staunchly animal rights. And Wave 3 as a novel is very loud on that subject and Mm. it's very obviously metaphor. Um, Dogs of War is much more nuanced, like much more nuanced. Uh, Whereas Grant Morrison is essentially grabbing you by the lapel and going stop it mm. you know this is my opinion and you will listen um Adrian Tchaikovsky is like consider this next page consider this so if this happens and this happens if you allow this to be true then surely this must be true and you sit there and you think and he's not trying to convince you I mean maybe he is but the the, the book isn't mm. you just like Rex because Rex is a good dog Hmm. and you care about Rex and there's a bit about 20% of the way through where my heart just leapt into my mouth because I'm just like I care about these characters a lot Hmm. Um, even bees and bees bees Bees. covered in bees bees. he has a lot of fun with bees by the by uh, and there's more uh you can in certain there's like towards the end there's like world description chapters there's inserts from uh from from like newspaper articles and from academic discourses and this sort of thing to kind of function as a coder and quite often those bits are about bees Bees. because of the consequences i've got this i've got this i've no idea i don't know what bees is i don't anything about his character other than that he's called bees or they're they're called bees Singular, whatever, but 
but I think I fear that something terrible is going to happen to Beasley. It's going to be an awesome setting thing. Oh, see, I don't know. I feel like in my head, if they were Little Rascals characters, Bees would be like the sticky kid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one that you're just like, oh, you can come in, but I'm going to put a carrier bag down for you to sit on. <laughs> okay. My my just thought was. This is a really excitable character. Yeah. Because called bees. But <laughs> I'm sure that I love bees. Yeah. If if be, if in terms of bees as a little rascal character, I'm sure I love him. But you can guarantee that you you wouldn't hug him. No, because you'd have to wipe it off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> it's written as a series of accounts from various characters. Mostly it's Rex. Some of them are redacted. Oh. Because military operations. Okay. Uh, so you'd have an entire page of Black's Oh no, it, it just says character name redacted. Oh, okay. And then you work out who it is. Right. By nice. reading through. Oh, that's um, nice. I like that's, that. That's clever. I like, I like it. it when authors remember that readers are clever. Um, and the, 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 it's divided into the, the, the parts, because there's different accounts. And the first part, which I was talking about, which is the war part, is called Dog Bites Man. The law part is called New Tricks. Then we go on to the hand that feeds... His master's voice. No. And dog ears. Um, Ooh. His master's voice. Yeah, but now I'm 15 and I just want to go buy some DVDs. Yeah, I was thinking HMV as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. Miss that one. Yeah. They are. Yeah, that's what HMV stands yeah. for. Yeah. They are. They are. They are some obvious puns. At one point. It took me ages to realise that there was essentially a Navy SEAL joke in there. Excellent. Because, <laughs> of course, there would be. Mm. Um, and, and, and so on. Yeah, yeah, balancing a beach ball and so on. Um, and so on. So, is Dogs, is Dogs of War any good? It's, it's better than Ironclad. Uh, I like Ironclad. Um, should you read it? Yes. Will it make you sad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, even talking about this makes me feel... Uh, going into this, from the topic, I sort of had a feeling it was going to be a bit sad, or mm. make me think, if you see what I mean, because I trust Adrian Tchaikovsky, I know the author, I know the style. Um, Dan Abnett did the same idea as a book called Kingdom. Yeah. And from Dan Abnett, I expect explosions and shoot you death in space. And what right. I got was explosions and shoot you death in space. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, some bits of Kingdom made me think. Um, Kingdom and Fiefdom, which were the Fiefdoms up there. Um, this is good radio. Ed's pointing, it's radio. Ed's pointing and, up somewhere on the bookshelf. On the bookshelf. Um, Fiefdom <laughs> is the novel version of Kingdom. Kingdom was a comic book. Kingdom is the one. Where the genetically engineered dog soldiers um, fighting on behalf of mankind uh, against weird alien insect things, and in kingdom and in in kingdom, um, they're all purebred, genetically engineered, and in fiefdom, it's moved on and it's lots and lots of mongrel species, animal people, kind of thing in territorial fights, and. They're great. I love the I love the Dan Abnett stuff, but it didn't make it didn't make me. It didn't have the same emotional impact as Dogs of War. Yeah, because from Dan Abnett, I expect explosions and bad puns. The, the main character in in Kingdom is um, 
a giant dog with two knives who's referred to as, as, as the hackman because he hacks things and his friends called him Gene. Oh, oh! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> their, their mentor is called Gary. He's the oldest. Oh he's God! Old, he's old man Gary. <sighs> At one point, someone looks into the sky and goes, "They say we were named after the stars. I wonder which one's mine." Oh no! <laughs> which, which is a lovely. That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely piece of world building, oh. but again. You know, that, and that's Dan Abnett, and I expect that from Dan, and I expect that sort of cleverness from Dan. But I'm, I, you know, I, I don't expect, and I don't want to lay down the challenge. <laughs> I don't expect as much to, in a single line, have my heart as ripped out as Eugene Tchaikovsky can. Yeah. Um, that said, Dan has torn my heart out several times. Brag. Uh, <laughs> Gemmel does that to me. That's mine. Literally, that moment, how in a sentence he can like destroy my world, and then move on and not care. But I think this is. I mean, it says obviously Clark Award winner Adrian Tchaikovsky. I think this is a second dip at the Clark. To be honest, yeah. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Um, is it groundbreaking and interesting enough to win all sorts of awards? There's a question. <laughs> uh, in case you uh, haven't heard, uh, we have an award. We do, which uh, is still a bit mind blowing, if I'm honest. Yeah, but, but what the heck? So, stop yeah, us. We, we didn't win it, we, we made it. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. our award. We, did, we kept not winning an award, so we decided just to give one out. It's fine. Um, <laughs> fine. Yep. Totally normal. So, what's happened? Right, so, Bruni words. Right, so. Just to just to get the definition completely right, this award is from Starburst magazine. It's called the Brave New Words Award because that's the name of the book column in Starburst magazine. It's also the name of the podcast, but it's a Starburst magazine award, not an award from the podcast, yep. not an award from the column. It's an award from the magazine. Most of the judges are the people who are involved in the podcast because we read it absolute shed load of books mm -hmm. and it's the first year we've done this award we also have I'm about to forget his name but we also have Alistair Stewart welcome to the judging panel Alistair Stewart um, Ooh, he said yes he has said yes Ooh, he's excited. Uh, do, do you want to tell the listeners who Al is or shall I I'll go I'll go ahead <laughs> uh, Alistair is a lovely B um, from the, the Isle of Man from the Isle of Man uh, that wasn't going to be the thing I was going to, you know, the most important thing. I suppose it is quite important. Um, he's responsible for Pseudopod, Escape Pod, pod. and that entire pod. Um, podcast. Podcast, audio, audio book short story things. Uh, you should go and check them out. Uh, they're really cool. But he is uh, an editor par excellence. And he writes for various genre sites. And he's he's written for Tor, he's written for... MCM. I don't think he's ever written for Starburst. Uh, he so. might have. I just can't remember if he has. Um, but essentially, he's he's in the the industry the same way that I am, um, and he's involved in the same way that I am. And he's also not a Brave New Words podcast yeah. person, which means that we have at least one person who's from outside. So the people that we have, 
is we have a Mike Smith, um, we have me, we have Dell. Yep, well done. That's um, my name. <laughs> we have Russell Smith. Yay, Russ! And I think that's it, isn't it? Is it that's five? five. Yeah, that's five. Five. That's what going on with. Um, and we might have an extra surprise judge depending, yeah. oh. or we might not. So <laughs> the surprise judge might not be anybody. Well, no, the judge. The surprise is, might be there isn't another one. The <laughs> judge seats go up to six. Right. Minimum number of judges required, I think, is four. Um, and the, the maximum number of judges we can is six. Okay. You can have as many. Well, I should really explain what the award is for. Oh, go on. Okay, so the Bruni Words Award is for words that are brave and new. Yay! Specifically, it says we want breakout, we want uh, breakout work in the field of cult entertainment, which is Starburst euphemism for geek shit. Um, it, it, it's easy to do it that way. Uh, I still haven't finished talking about Doctor Four, by the way. It's really good. You should read it. So it we're might make you a bit sad. Lord? Yeah. So the idea is that we want to encourage new fresh and interesting voices as an award we it, it right the award goes to the person not the book okay and this is a question that's been asked a few times so if you've written say you've written a bunch of really really brilliant blog posts and they're fantastic or even a bunch of really brilliant tweets and they're fantastic and they've gone viral and your words are brave and new and interesting and within the genre mm -hmm. someone could then submit that and say there we go I think this person who's amazing on Twitter is doing um, a, you know, a Jeff Noon style novel on Twitter or what have you you can submit that um, if it's a if it's a visual novel you can submit that if it's like an electronic app game you can submit that if they're a blogger you can submit that we are expecting mostly books and we were expecting mostly long form novels because that's the the main thing. Yeah. I think sometimes a sub even if a submission is a book, it can potentially reflect the bravery onto the publisher. Because I think sometimes, don't get me wrong, it can be brave to write a thing, but I think sometimes the bravery is in the publishers for for sticking to it and publishing it. Well, I think there are some things that certain publishers would not have published. So without going into it for the listener, because we haven't announced it, but some things have already made the shortlist. Because we've looked at them and just gone, yes, stamp. And you know, the event is the prize is announced in March, so some things have already are already being read by the judges mm. um, as as shortlist items. Um, and in one particular case, it could be the editor that wins, not the individual Ooh. stories. Mm. Um, you know, and the, the, there's that. It could be the editor involved that wins, or it could, in 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 theory, whoever it is that is judged by the team to be the person who is brave and break out, right, will get the prize. Okay. So that means it could be a slim volume of po uh, poetry that wins. It could be uh, if we if one hits the shortlist. Um, it could be an editor. It could be a blogger. It could be just someone very mouthy on social media, um, in theory. I'm thinking of this, I'm possibly thinking of this the wrong way, but I'm thinking of this as this is the Gryffindor approach rather than the Ravenclaw approach to books. Yes, yes okay. it is. 
The show's a Gryffindor. Oh, now okay. you've ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, like as as confirmed by the the people at Loot Crate when they sent sent something to the show. Was it uh, this Gryffindor hat that I've just found on the sofa? It may have inspired us. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> The show's staff, staffed and ran by... It's so warm. <laughs> it is really warm. It's really good. It, it, the show is staffed and ran by Ravenclaws. Yeah. Slive. I have never done the thing where I think, found out what house I am. I haven't. <gasps> I suspect my house is for Privet Drive. But... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Last year you got 36 presents. <laughs> Are you sure it's not 23 Acacia Avenue? It could be. I could what? be a bit other man. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you... Oh, my goodness. What? It's total aside, but I've heard some of the songs from the Banana Man musical now. And they're amazing. They are absolutely staggeringly good. Yay. I, I, nice I fear that the award ceremony for this period is going to have a tangent. Um, <laughs> why not we're going to forget to give the award Why not give yeah. the award? No, I know. Oh, it's all right then. Starburst we, we, does it. We are like it's going to be at the Starburst Media City Festival, right? Uh, sorry, I think it's called Starburst Media City because Media City are a major sponsor, so it's not Starburst International Film Festival. It's the Starburst Media City Festival, right? Um, I think if Media City could have made it called Media City Peel Media City Peel Media City Peel Starburst, then they would. But right. it's the Starburst Media City Festival in Media City in Salford mm-hmm. in March. Uh, he looks at the map and tries to work out when it's sixteenth to the eighteenth. We've got it on a wall somewhere, one of the many, many books. I do like the fact you looked at a map rather than a wall pl- year planner for that. But Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it's not a map. It's a map, but for time and space. To be fair, time, where we space. currently are, I like that way of something thinking. on the wall, it's probably a map. Yeah, but I like the idea of a map for time and space. That makes it sound much more cool. All it is is a map for time rather than a map time. for space. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we're not pres- we are judging the award. Mm-hmm. Because the Brave New Words podcast crew are the judges this year. It might be different next year. Um, it's probably going to be my fault, regardless. Um, okay. We know who I know who think to the award's going to be... Um, Starburst, have, um, Starburst have these little awards. I think the award will be a Roboto, which is a... Do you know the robot from the DDF stood still? Goat. Yes. So imagine something that looks like goat, but doesn't look like goat, just not just slightly differently to not cause any lawsuits. Copyright yeah. <laughs> uh, so It looks a bit like that. And then put him in the Oscar pools. Yep. That's the awards they gave to the film festival winners. I think that's also the award they're going to be handing out to whoever this is. Um, fingers crossed. Sarah Pimbers agreed to um, hand out the handle the award ceremony. Cool. Oh, she's not going to go off on a tangent at all. Uh, <laughs> and she, well, she agreed at the time the show broadcast. She had agreed, so that should be quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Is I she sh- going to be on best behaviour? <laughs> <laughs> Is she ever? <laughs> <laughs> Do we think that's going to be the case? <laughs> I don't think so. This is going to be wonderfully entertaining. <laughs> um, so it should be fun. It's a, Fun uh, three days in March, um, 16th to the 17th, 18th in Salford in Manchester, in England, the United Kingdom, which is still is, part of Europe. Is it a ticketed event? Like, can the public come to the festival? It's a ticketed event. The public can come cool. to the festival. Where, are the tickets it. available? The tickets are on sale via the Starburst Magazine website 
right now, he said, optimistically. Cool. It will probably not be a massive event because the last one wasn't a massive, massive mm-hmm. event. Um, we're looking at like sledge lit size. Oh, uh, that's still very cool though. For the first year, at least. Uh, I think they have dreams of making it bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see how it goes for the cool. first one. Um, and it's mostly a film festival, it's mostly a media, but mm-hmm. multimedia festival. But we'll have plenty of boogie people in it as well. Um, and I can't announce any more guests because I can't. Yeah, you can't. Like, you literally can't. Um, but no, if anyone did want to come down, Media City is really easily accessible. There's hotels close by and in. Literally a And in it, yeah. And then also the tram to Manchester City Centre is 15 minutes. And unlike London, it's not hideously expensive. Nope. It's really um, not. And there's also Especially the, not in March. Also, there's loads of cool things. Yeah. In Manchester, it's like London, but like less hivey. I, I find Manchester less hivey. Less hivey, like you're living in a hive. Like Manchester bees. Bees. bees, bees, yes, bees. Which, is the, bees. which is the which is the irony, because in Manchester, in London, I feel like I'm literally in a like shoved into a box. If you see what I mean. Whereas London, I can like flap my little bee rings and, and buzz off. That's what they should have called the Oyster cards. They should have called them the buzz off cards. We had this conversation the other day. We had this conversation because the current Manchester version of the Oyster card, which doesn't really work, is called Get It's it There. Yeah, it's because it's not an Oyster card. It's not an Oyster card. No, it, it, basically it doesn't work. It doesn't work on the buses. It's it doesn't really space. work on the trains. It only partly works on the trams. There's an actual con- contactless card thing and there's an app. They don't talk to each other. They're two entirely separate systems. No. The entire system is completely flawed. Well, Andy so there, come to Manchester Andy where we're having an awards ceremony. And it's got a stupid <laughs> bloody name called, called Get Me There. And it should be called something that's related to a sodding bee. For the love of everything. But Andy Burnham is sorting this shit Andy out. Andy Burnham's sorting it. It's a big part gonna, of what slightly, he wants He's going to slightly re-regulate the buses. Get Me There is a silly name because it's too literal. It's almost like calling a theatre home. Don't get me started! Um, and on that note, I think we're <laughs> should, we, should we talk to a lovely author? Shall we talk to a lovely author? <laughs> we talk to a lovely author? Yes. yes. A lovely author! Robin Hobb, welcome to Brave New Words. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, um, tell us about the new book. The one that has just come out? Yes. Oh, with no spoilers, I presume. That's, oh, so that's so. a trick. That's a good trick. Um, so I'm going to speak in generalities then. Uh, for people who have started the trilogy, they know that um, with much trepidation, I added a second narrator to this part of Fitz's tale. And uh, that was um, an interesting departure for me in trying to figure out how to give the readers clues as to who is speaking at the beginning of each chapter. Um, and I, I worried at first that readers would not want to follow a second narrator, but it, the first two books have been well received, so I think that that's not too much of a hurdle now. The second narrator becomes um, uh, fulfills a greater role in the third book. Am I being too circuitous here? I think you're being a little bit. A little too bit too circuitous. Okay. Um, wow. Uh, what to tell about this book? Um, there are scenes and even sentences in this book that I've looked forward to writing for over 20 years that I knew if I ever wrote to this part of Fritz's life, the, these were the scenes I would have to have 
and these are the words that people would hear characters say. So that was a, a strange sort of satisfaction to um, actually finally put that down and look at it on a screen and say, well, here we are at the place we've come to. So just talking about the second character for a moment, mm-hmm. so there's, there's, there's another main character, and obviously for a very long time it's been mostly Fitz. Fitz has been the sole narrator for all the other... Well, not all, but not for the Rainwall Chronicles, but any book that featured Fitz, he was the sole narrator, and we had to take his word for everything. And he's, uh, as an unreliable narrator goes, I think it'd be fair to say he's not that reliable? Um, uh, Different books were written at different stages in his life, so he has seen events in different lights during his life, and occasionally, when he writes of those events in a later book, he looks back and says, you know, what was I thinking? And it, yet at the time, it seems so logical. So, um, is he an unreliable narrator? Let's just say that there are some cards that he does not choose to put on the table. And, uh, and yet the story advances. Yourself and, of course, the reader has a long and established relationship with Fitz. Oh, yes. Uh, and the fool as well. So how much of a challenge was it to add... An, an additional voice, especially one so intimate? Um, the, I think the biggest challenge for me as a writer was uh, dousing my fears that people would not want to listen to be. That I had to uh, say to myself, well, um, there is no other viewpoint character at this part of the story, so this is who must tell this part of the story. Um, making sure that that voice stayed distinct uh, and that it did not become my voice was was part of the challenge. There, There is a way that, that you and I talk, and then there is a way that Fitz talks to readers, and then there is a way that B talks to readers. And ideally, if I've done a good enough job, you should be able to read a passage of, of dialogue, say, and know who is speaking it. It's, it's really hard, but it's something that writers strive for. There's a, a great many threads in this novel. Um, and you mentioned that you've been waiting to say certain things for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, do you even, how do you even do that? How do you even approach, how do you even decide when to deliver certain revelations and certain points? And are there certain things that you've been... You know, are there certain things that you've that you've kept back because you've been so keen to put them here? Well, there there were certain things that uh, were kept back because there was simply nobody to say them. Uh, For instance, in in the Live Ship Traders trilogy, um, there is a a character who is also featured in... who is is near and dear to Fitz, but there is nobody to say, Aha! So it's you! And therefore, as a writer, even though I, at many times I really wished I could, I could not reveal anything more about that character than the people around that character actually knew. It's part of staying very, very tightly to a viewpoint, even if it's not a first-person viewpoint. Um, if I am writing through Althea's eyes or through Brashen's eyes, I can only tell the reader exactly what that character knows at that point in time. From the from the point of view of the whole series, yes, 
Are there any more secrets for us to find out? Doubtless there are things that I have not explained in great detail, things I know that, again, it's hard to convey directly to the reader because there is no character that, that knows these things. Um, so uh, I, I give as many hints as I can, and I hope that the reader draws their own conclusions. Given the nature of the book, mm-hmm. will there be any more? Um, you know, in previous years, people have asked me that at the end of the Farseer trilogy, at the end of the live ship trade, and I've always said, no, I'm done. And so I've learned to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, the answer to that is a firm, I don't know. <laughs> You've talked in, uh, in the past about when writing, there's always other things that you want to write whilst writing one book. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So what is next? Um, I just finished a couple of short stories that I had uh, committed to writing for Gardner Desois. He does um, anthologies. Um, uh, the first one was for the, the Book of Swords, and that was actually a Robin Hobb story. And then I finished and turned in uh, one for his Book of Magic anthology, which is uh, a Megan Lindholm story. And so right now on my, on my laptop, there are probably three different ideas that I'm tinkering with to say, are you a short story? Are you a novel? Are you a mess? Um, and so I'm, I'm writing a little bit on this and writing a little bit on that and waiting to see what's going to take off and catch fire. A question I asked slightly differently last time, but why do your characters torture themselves so much? They're very introspective people and I think almost everybody I know has a great deal of underlying turmoil about did I make the right decision what what if I had you know what if I had taken that other job three years ago um what if I hadn't broken up with that person that I I dated seven years ago we we always have those what ifs uh boiling along in the backs of our brains um most people if, if you stopped and said what are you worrying about today they've got something that is uh giving them concern, whether it's, uh, you know, my car is overdue for an oil change to, um, I think my husband's having an affair. <laughs> so, uh, on, on all levels. I think, um, does he torment himself? He thinks deeply about what his duty is. And it's very important to him to live up to expectations. So I, I think that's what you get, is not only his expectations, his hopes, what he would actually like to be doing for himself, what he feels obligated to do. For the other people in his life. How important is the fantasy element of your work? How much does it define it? And how much does just human interaction and human anxiety and the human condition? How how does one inform the other? And does one build on the other? How does that work when you're writing? I think when you're writing it first person, if you want to give the the full spectrum of the character you're working with, you you have to include that. Um, uh, you can tell a story in which you, you simply write down what happened and you never say what anybody thought or felt about it. And um, from what I understand, some of the, the Viking epics were written that way, a simple account of events. And so you never knew if, uh, if, if the character felt sorry for something he'd done or if he felt justified or angry or if he triumphed in it. 
it was simply this is what happened and then this character did this and that character responded by doing this. So I think I'm at the other end of the spectrum where uh, you, you know why Fitz does things and you know that sometimes he feels very torn about what he's doing and he has to make a decision and follow through on it. So I think it brings the, the reader more deeply into the story and the character. Why did you feel the need to bring in an additional character into this, this series? What was so important with that additional voice? Well, um, without B, there's no story. So, um, you, and you really, uh, as, as there are events that only that character is a witness to, you imagine the story without that character. And it's very, um, very peculiar. <laughs> I think it would be a very frustrating thing for a reader to read uh, with all of those pieces excluded from it. The public's hunger for fantasy has changed since um, you started writing fantasy. And it seems to be uh, the huge hunger for it now than never has been. Why? I think it's become more acceptable and I think that for a long time there was a a false perception of what fantasy was that if, if I said oh I enjoy reading fantasy you thought that I was reading about fairies dancing in a ring in the woods or you thought I was writing uh, you know about talking pigs or um, people equated fantasy with childishness and, and Tolkien actually has a very good essay on that and it was something that had had uh, been there for a long long time that, that fantasy and fairy tales belonged in the nursery as he put it and not in a thinking person's uh, library shelf so I think that as fantasy um, came out on the screen and if you look now, most of the, the blockbuster movies and TV series that hit it off have at least some element of fantasy or some of the fantastic about them. I think people decided it was more acceptable to read. If your work was translated into another media, how would you like to see it translated? Uh, are we talking about television and film or...? Or any? Well, it is in the sense that there are audiobooks of it. and, and um, that I, I think the narrators have done a pretty good job. Um, uh, it, it has been um, expressed as graphic novels in France, uh, so there are there are graphic novels of the Farseer and the live ships uh, in French uh, from Soleil, and I think they did an extraordinary job with that. I, I really enjoyed the illustrations. Even with my poor French, I can uh, follow the story very clearly with the illustrations and, and stumbling through the French. Um, as far as film or television, oh, you, you know, it, it's not a question of how would I want it done so much as would I want it done at all. Um, I think I would have to have a relationship of, of trust with whoever we contracted with to do this. And um, I would have to either be all in or open your hand and let it go. But I don't think there could be anything in between in terms of, of being involved with it. If you got to keep one piece of art, anything that's created, um, and have that in such a way that it will survive until the sun dies, what would you pick? 
of of all art in of the all, world. Art of all media, poetry, writing. Oh, oh, and I get to send something forward through time. There are things that I think will continue to survive. Um, hmm. Uh, that's a hard one because they're, they're, you, you're asking me to winnow it out and um, try to pick the, what is the very best of the best for me. Um, I love The Lord of the Rings. I love The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. Um, there are so many books that have spoken to me. You know, if we talk about, well, we'd better have a copy of the Bible with all of the cultural uh, implications that involves. It, it's, I, I don't think I can, you know, come up with a single work that would survive. And, and many works, I think, if, that, if they were their sole surviving work, it would lose all uh, uh, comprehension without the surrounding works. Some silly questions just to finish off, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, firstly, dragons or spaceships? Oh, dragon-powered spaceships. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I don't think you have to choose. I mean, we've got such a such a wide spectrum of literature. Yeah, I think everybody should read science fiction and fantasy, and probably some romance and some cowboys books too. So, pens or swords? Pens or swords? Um, oh, I think in this world we need both. I, I uh, can't ch- can't decide. If you if you took my pen away, um, I'm as weaponless as if you take my knife away. Um, Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, um, I'll just take Matt Gronig and, and hold him hostage and have all. <laughs> <laughs> um, the wit or the skill? The wit. Only truth or beauty? Truth is beauty. Beauty is truth. You know that. Robin Hobb, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. They were lovely. They were lovely. lovely. Shall we leave? Yeah, I think we need to. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.